good to be here this morning. Um, the title of my message this morning is The Man the King of the Lights to Honor. Maybe I'll ask a couple of trivia questions for your children or anybody. Does anybody remember uh, who said those words or where that comes from? The Man the King of the Lights to Honor. Yeah, it was uh, from the story of Esther, and then Haman was actually the man who said that. Um, he, he was invited to this uh, banquet with Esther and King Xerxes, and he was pretty pleased about it. But when he went home, Mordecai, um, Esther's cousin, did not bow to him. And Esther's story irritated him. It was the one thing in his life that didn't work out the way he wanted it to. And he was going to go to the king to ask for, uh, to have Mordecai hanged. But as he arrived in the court, uh, the king uh, presented a question to him. What what should um, be done to the man the king delights to honor? And Haman thought, well, what man would the king want to honor besides me? And so he came up with this Um, but when David uh, heard what they had done, he said, 
when somebody brought me the star set and thought they were bringing me good news, I had been killed. And how much more you guys, you wicked men, who killed an innocent man in his own bed, and you have been killed. Later, um, I think years later, when Absalom rebelled against David and um, was eventually killed, uh, they needed to take the message of news back to David. And Hinehaz, the son of Zadok the priest, wanted to run and take the news back to David. But Joab, he said, no, no, it's not, this is not for you. This is not good news. You're not going to get any rewards for this news. Um, but Hinehaz really, really wanted to run. And um, Joab went with him. And Joab, even though he didn't share any of David's, or few of David's values, uh, in fact, he's the one who killed Absalom, right? Um, he, he understood what David's values were, and he, he realized that there would be no reward for anyone who brought news of Absalom's death. So he spent a good night instead. But finally, Ahimehaz convinced him, Joab, to let Ahimehaz run, and Ahimehaz outran the Kishite and arrived first. Um, and when David asked what news he brought, um, Ahimehaz, realizing um, how David would feel about the news, only said that there was great confusion and that he wasn't sure what happened. Um, I'm guessing he did know what happened, uh, but he let the Kishite break the news to David. And nobody was killed in that case, fortunately. No, they realized they weren't bringing good news. Um, but in, in these accounts of King Jesse's, uh, well, yeah, King Jesse's and King David, um, understanding what the king's values were uh, was a matter of life and death for these people. Now, Jesus, uh, he came into the earth to set up a kingdom that uh, is not of this world, but his kingdom does have citizens and laws and King, um, Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And King, King Xerxes and King David, they, they have values. Jesus has, has values. His values are perfect and um, uh, in line with the character of God and they're consistent. Um, but he, he nevertheless has values. And um, Jesus told the people who will come before him and say and think that they share Jesus' values. Um, they will tell him how they had prophesied and how they had cast out demons in Jesus' name and had done many, many wonderful miracles. Um, but Jesus will say to them that I never knew you, get away from me, you evildoers. And so, um, in a similar way that in uh, the time of these ancient kings, it was important to understand their values. Um, it is important that we understand the Jesus values, and not because he's a harsh king who's just waiting to strike us down um, as soon as we slip up, um, but because he has blessings in this life uh, for those who love him and, and value what he values. And so I'd like to look at uh, Matthew 5 this morning, uh, look at the Beatitudes. And here we have a list of the things that are important to Jesus, the things that he values, and um, the kind of people that he will bless. He will bless us if we have, if we share these values. Jesus was um, given, uh, Jesus was beginning his ministry, 
he had called his first disciples, and he was teaching in the synagogues all throughout Galilee. Uh, many people were coming to him, and he was healing them. And, um, and so there were large crowds. He was becoming very popular. And in verse 1, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them. And it sounds almost like he was trying to get away from the crowds and spend time with his disciples. But we know from the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So it wasn't just his disciples, it was large crowds of people that he was talking to. And there's a similar passage in Luke, uh, chapter 6. And I didn't do a lot of research on it, but there is some. Uh, debate as to whether that's a, a separate account or just a different take on this sermon. Um, the differences between the two may be explained by the differences in um, the audience, both Matthew and Luke. Matthew was speaking to Jews and Luke to the Gentiles. Um, or it could actually be two completely separate events, two separate sermons. Uh, the one in Luke is sometimes known as the Sermon on the Plain. Because Jesus went down to a level place. Um, but Jesus no doubt spoke on the same topic numerous times throughout his ministry, and it's very possible that, um, that he just spoke on similar uh, things. Um, John, at the end of his book, says that the world couldn't even hold everything that was said about Jesus um, if the book was written of everything he did. So um, it's no wonder that. There might be some uh, overlap a little, in a little bit of some of his sermons. But in any case, um, there's a few accounts and we can learn from them, and I'm going to be focusing on the one uh, that comes in Matthew, and we might look at the one in Luke 6 uh, just a little bit uh, sometimes here. But if, um, so we live in a world with very different values from the values that Jesus has and the values of his kingdom. If we were to make a list of the values of the world or to the attitudes of the world, what would that sound like? Uh, it might go something like this. Blessed are the rich, for they will live in comfort and security. Blessed are the intelligent, for people will value their opinion and advice. Blessed are the beautiful, for they will have many admirers. Blessed are the powerful, for they will get their way. Blessed are the athletic, for they will impress many with their abilities. Blessed are the humorous, for they will entertain many friends. Blessed are you when men praise you and compliment you for your good deeds. For this shows that you are respected and appreciated. Um, if we're honest, we're probably all guilty of wishing for at least one or more of these things at some point in our lives, uh, thinking that there would be some blessing for us if we were just a little more something, um, if we had a little more, or... Uh, we were appreciated more. Um, and the world we live in has rewards for these kinds of people, but uh, the rewards are all about keeping ourselves and impressing other people. I mean, that's completely opposite from um, the rewards that, that Jesus offers. Um, when, we, when we look at uh, the Beatitudes, and Jesus' values, uh, it's worth asking ourselves if our values and our desires and our thoughts line up with these things that Jesus says are important. 
or how our values and our ideas, our thoughts, more closely aligned with these uh, values of the world. Jesus' values are so opposite from the world's values that it's uh, a little bit like, and even his values, it's a little bit like playing a game uh, like golf, for example, and realizing at the end that a high score is a bad thing. Um, his, his values are basically opposite from the world. So let's look uh, through these eight Beatitudes, and I divided them into four categories. Um, and I'm going to first look at the kind of people who are blessed, um, or another way of saying it would be the, the kind of man or person that the king delights to honor. And there's four different um, types of people, and, and this could be divided different ways, but uh, first are those that need, and then second, those who have good desires, those who have Christ-like character, and then fourth, um, those who are most freedom. So those with need, and then along with that, those with those that grieve, um, in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In, in Luke's account, he just simply says, Blessed are the poor. Um, some people feel like poor in spirit, I don't think um, they would prefer, would be one who thinks that, uh, you know, a poor person can still have a very covetous heart, and so poor in spirit would be kind of uh, no attachment to wealth. Um, no kind of descriptive desire. Um, I don't know what it means exactly. Some people think it's very similar to meek um, and humble. But I think maybe poor in spirit, a poor means needy, right? Um, and it's not needy in, in physical things, but needy in spiritual things. So I think maybe it just means those with spiritual needs. Um, maybe the opposite of Pharisee. Um, they don't have spiritual needs, right? At least not that they knew of. Um, Mark 2, 17, uh, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous to sinners. And so the poor in spirit may be those who are sick, spiritually sick, need, need something. Um, Luke 18, 17 is the account uh, where the little children were coming to Jesus, the people were bringing their children to Jesus. And um, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so the poor in spirit may be of those who have needs, those who um, realize their needs. And then in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And there's two ways we could take this. One way would just be those who have experienced grief and loss, those who are mourning. Um, or it could mean that those who are grieved by the sin and trouble around them, those who care, and um, those who are grieved when they see sin in their own lives and, and trouble in the lives of people around them. But in James 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter for mourning and your joy for gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we should pay attention to um, the context of this verse. James, James was scolding people who uh, were struggling with quarreling, people who were friends of the world, um, the proud, 
Um, James certainly wasn't the best joy because at the beginning of this book, he says, Can it all joy when you fall into God's temptations? Um, but when there's sin and trouble, um, there could be grief and mourning. Um, there's a lot of sin and trouble in the world around us. And to ignore it and to try to just entertain ourselves to distraction um, is not not Jesus' approach to dealing with the trouble in the world. Um, his approach was to care and to love and to help. So, if, if Jesus is referring to those who have experienced grief um, and loss, um, we know that he offers comfort for those people too. Um, he may also be talking to those who, who care about the, the needs around them. So in the first section, we have people who recognize their own spiritual needs, people who are spiritually needy, and people who also care about the needs around them and grieve and, um, and want to help and care. And so the second group of, of the attitudes then is those, or the second um, type of people who are blessed are those with good desires. And first, uh, we have uh, verse 6. We'll come back to verse 5. And verse 6, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, this is fairly straightforward. Those who aren't satisfied and complacent with uh, where they're at uh, spiritually. Uh, first Chronicles 28.9 says, if you seek them, he will be found by you. And uh, that was uh, King David talking to Solomon when Solomon was becoming king. And he was encouraging Solomon to seek God, to see God, and uh, he would find him. And James 4 8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. And so, um, to a certain extent, uh, we will only get as much of God and as much righteousness um, as we uh, desire. And then uh, the second beatitude that I put in this section um, of, of good desires, those who have good desires, is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And purity uh, means clean. It means desiring good, not evil. A heart that's led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Psalm 19, uh, 9, verses 9 and 10 says, Wherefore shall a young man cleanse his way? I take in Jesus to according to my, my word. With my whole heart have I thought thee, let me not wander from thy commandments. In, in this verse, or these two verses, we see that um, a pure life is a life that lives according to God's commandments. Um, taking heed that you according to thy word. And also a heart that's fully seeking God, that's fully devoted to God. And, um, I don't have the reference here. I think this is the backup. But uh, he was talking to God, and he was questioning God about why the evil, the wicked people are unstuck. Why does God continue to let the evil, evil people go ahead and do their evil things and oppress people? And he appeals to God's purity or God's character, and he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And, you know, we, we, can, we will never be isolated from the evil around us entirely. Um, we live in an evil world. But 
like God, we should be very uncomfortable in the presence of evil. Um, if we ever find ourselves enjoying evil or enjoying contemplating uh, evil, then we can be assured that that's not coming from a pure heart. In 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, uh, Peter talks about wrath and how he was tormented in his righteous soul by the law of deeds that he saw and heard. And Locke had problems, I think, to make some poor choices in life, but uh, he was a righteous man and, and was troubled by the evil around him. And that's the way we should be. And it's kind of connects back to what we were saying about mourning, being troubled by our sin and by our wickedness. So that's the second uh, type of people. And then the third um, type of people who are blessed and honored by, by Jesus are those with Christ-like character. Um, and that is the meek, the merciful, and the peacemakers. So in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, meek means quiet, gentle, uh, submissive, I guess that's the best dictionary definition. Um, and I think it, it means not weak so much, but one who's not just demanding their rights. Um, one who doesn't uh, demand everything that they deserve, I guess. And then I think a good example would be, well, we know Moses is the meekest man, I think that's today. But Abraham was also a meek man, and Abraham, when he was traveling with Lot, he could have demanded um, the best land, you know, when they, they Lot got too big to, to live together. Uh, but Abraham gave Lot the choice, even though Abraham was uh, the older one and, and the leader, and he could have uh, took the best land for himself. So he demonstrated meekness. And then on the other extreme, you have Jacob, right? And uh, something was lost between Abraham and Jacob, I guess, because Jacob uh, would use any kind of trickery and manipulation and deceit to get even what he didn't really rightly deserve, um, the birthright and the blessing. And then, of course, Jesus, he's uh, a perfect example of meekness. Um, he went to his death with the lamb to the slaughter. Uh, he didn't deserve it, and then he endured it, but then set the record straight the whole way to the cross and um, tell everybody how wrong they were and how evil they were. Um, he just went meekly and quietly. So that's meekness. And then in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So none of us deserve God's mercy, and we can never earn God's mercy by being merciful enough or good enough. But we should be eager to extend mercy to others just out of gratitude for what God has given to us. Um, and to withhold mercy from any person after what we have been, the forgiveness we've been given would be um, to be just like that unmerciful servant that Jesus spoke about in his parable. He grabbed his um, servant by the neck and demanded that he paid everything that he owed him. And I think it's probably talking about mercy from God. If we are merciful, God will be merciful to us. Uh, but, you know, I think that's a to people as well. If we are merciful people, 
Um, people are more likely to give up pity uh, for parts than they're merciful in time. Uh, there's little chance of uh, receiving anything different from Jacob Amos. And then verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Um, the name peacemaker has been used for um, a revolver that was popular um, in the West and still popular today as a collector's item. It's been used for uh, the largest bomber that was ever flown by the U.S. Air Force. But uh, overwhelming force is not Jesus' way of making peace. Um, making peace God's way or Jesus' way generally involves sacrifice, giving something up. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6 7, uh, Paul is talking about lawsuits, and he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be defeated? Instead, you yourself seem to be wrong, and you do this to your brothers. And James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace pray the hardest of righteousness. Um, and if it's like raising anything else that is sown, uh, it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen overnight. But if we live a life um, of making peace, uh, there will be a harvest of righteousness eventually. So that's the third uh, group, those who have Christ-like character. And the fourth group, uh, uh, the fourth type of person who is blessed by, by Jesus, uh, is those who are mistreated. And this is from verse 10 uh, and 11. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is conditional. There's several um, conditions given here uh, for receiving blessings or mistreatment. It's not just anybody who is treated uh, unfairly or has hardship. Uh, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's the first one. And then in verse 11, um, he speaks of people falsely saying evil against you. Uh, so those who are evil do not uh, enjoy this when they are spoken ill of. Um, and then he also says, because of me. So when we are mistreated because of Jesus, not because of our own foolishness or um, insensitivity or poor choices, but because of following Jesus, then there will be blessing, great reward in heaven. And this is probably the hardest, I think, maybe the hardest um, of these values of Jesus to share. Um, most of us don't know just a whole lot about persecution or haven't had much experience with it. Uh, in Luke's list of blessings, he only has four blessings. Um, but he has this one. And the reward that he gives, or, or what he says you should do when you experience persecution, uh, he says, hey, Blessed are you when men hate you. This is Luke uh, 6, verses 22 and 23. 
Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and weep for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For what is God and Father to the prophets? And I don't think I ever noticed before that he said to weep for joy. And that just sounds crazy to me. Um, but to do that, one would really have to have um, eternity in mind, right? Um, you would have to be thinking about the reward that's coming in heaven and the blessing of being that identify with Jesus, who was also treated that way. I think there's two lessons um, from this lesson. Uh, one is that life in God's kingdom is not necessarily fun or easy here, and uh, the reward is mostly in heaven. Uh, not all of it in heaven, but the greatest reward for us is in heaven. And, and the second thing is that the kind of person that can rejoice in persecution and can rejoice when people are saying false things about them, and when they're being insulted, and their name has been rejected as evil. The kind of people that can rejoice about that are people that are looking for 100% of their approval from God and Jesus and not from men. People who please men or kind of please men should not rejoice about this kind of thing. So we've looked at um, these four different types of people who are blessed. And now I want to look just really briefly at, at these blessings from the honor that these kind of people uh, will receive. Some of these blessings that are given here uh, appeal to everyone. Um, blessings like comfort, mercy, um, inheriting the earth. But then these other blessings that are given only appeal to people who love God and want to be part of His kingdom. Uh, these are things like uh, the kingdom of God, who mentions that twice as a reward. Being filled with righteousness, being God, being called the sons of God, reward in heaven. So are, are, these, are these blessings on our list of things that we want? But if we really think about uh, this second list of blessings, um, even these blessings fulfill longings and desires that every person has. Um, a desire to belong, a desire to belong to something bigger than ourselves, something important. Um, you know, being part of God's kingdom has been part of the truly greatest kingdom um, that's ever been, the only kingdom that will last forever. Um, we also, in these blessings, see identity, being called the sons of God. Um, and we have hope. Um, Many people are discouraged with life because they don't have any hope. Um, their life is a wreck and there's no hope. Everybody wants hope. And in these uh, blessings, we have deliverance from sin, uh, we have righteousness, and we have hope of a reward in heaven. So, while they may not first uh, look appealing to everyone, uh, they are appealing to everyone. They meet needs that all of us have. Everyone has. So, uh, looking back uh, at these Beatitudes, um, we see that if Jesus is a king, he's a good and kind king, and he loves us and he, he wants a relationship with us. And if we truly love him, we are going to 
value the things that he values. He will find important what he finds important. Uh, we will recognize our need of a Savior, and we will be um, greedy for the lost and needy around us. We will also desire righteousness and a pure heart that's fully devoted to God. We will follow Jesus' example, and our relationships um, will be meek, will be merciful and peace-loving. And we will also consider it an honor and a joy, and maybe even leap for joy, um, if we suffer unjustly for Jesus' sake. And if these are our values, then Jesus will bless us. He promises us. He will be right to honor us in this life and almost certainly in the next. And if we find while studying um, this list of Beatitudes that our values uh, fall short and our, our desires and our thoughts fall short of what is important to Jesus, well then we're already well on our way to receiving uh, the first blessing, which he promises to those who are poor in spirit, those who realize um, that they come up short, that they have meaning. And um, the blessings start when we just simply recognize that we have need of Him and when we sincerely hunger and thirst for more righteousness. So God bless each of you as you uh, try to make these values um, your own.